Should Missouri embrace pace? We'll talk to our guest Byron Galeer about that today. there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm James Owen, the Executive Director of Renew Missouri, the 501c3 working on renewable energy and energy policy here in Missouri. Joined as always by our producer running the boards, Matt Patterson. Matthew. James. Good afternoon. As always. As always. We're traveling today. We're traveling today. We're in St. Louis at an undisclosed location for our studio with a very special guest. Um, this guy, you will, I will promise you, you'll never meet anyone quite like him. And I mean that in a very good way. His name is Byron Galeer. Byron, how are you? Oh, getting along just fine. Is the uh, room malifluent enough for everybody? I think it, it, whatever that means, it sounds good to me. Yes, it sounds very good. So Byron, so Byron, you, <clears throat> we're going to get a little bit of your background, but right now you work for an organization. You work for a company called Wygreen. Tell us a little bit about what Y-Green is. Y-Green Y-Green is the leading PACE provider in the United States. And yep. PACE is a form of financing. Uh, it's called Property Assessed Clean Energy. Yeah. It's an acronym. And basically it allows for property owners to leverage future energy savings to bring a bunch of capital into the present yeah. to finance qualified uh, energy improvement, energy efficiency improvements, renewable energy yeah. improvements. In some states, water conservation measures. Right. They can do so, they can do earthquake uh, remediation and seismic uh, reinforcement in right. California. Yeah. In Florida, Pace can pay also for resiliency improvements to do uh, storm hardening uh, yeah. for hurricane hardening, impact resistant doors and windows. So the Pace market in general, it's been going on for about maybe eight, nine years, yeah. and uh, PACE is available for commercial property um, in over 30 states. Right. Uh, probably about 22 states have actually completed commercial projects okay. for a total of around $900 million, 2,000 projects. My firm, Y Green Energy Fund, although it's known for its residential PACE product for, right. for homeowners, Y Green has actually completed 1,000 commercial projects. So 50% of the national total from all providers, Y-Green has done those projects. Um, on the residential side, Pace has done perhaps 250,000 projects in three states for about $6 billion. Okay. Uh, my firm has done 65,000 of those projects in three states for about 1.6 billion. Wow. Now the Missouri market, is amazing for PACE because the, the PACE market in Missouri is the best PACE clean energy market in the entire Midwest. Right. I mean, PACE in Missouri has done about $100 million worth of projects, probably about 2,400 projects. And that really, you know, in terms of its impact uh, from an economic development standpoint, PACE has created over 1,300 good paying jobs in the home performance and home improvement sector. These are electricians, insulators, carpenters, solar installers, and I cannot emphasize how valuable it is to, uh, you know, what a good paying job does for a community. That's and huge. so, I mean, this is something that we've really tried to emphasize in Jefferson City and the legislature right. is that 
when PACE was passed into law in 2010, it was a law that was a revenue neutral initiative. So there was zero tax dollars going into project funding. And yet we've had this massive creation of like 1,300 jobs now. And I know that's not 13,000 jobs, but if you line up, you know, 1,300 individuals that are paying for their families, that are paying, that are putting food yeah. on the table and, and making their bills and all this kind of stuff because they're actually doing things to improve the energy infrastructure of our state and to advance energy technology. You know, this is an amazing win for our state. And, uh, you know, of course, I try to spread that evangel every chance I can get. Yeah. Well, hey, that's why you're here. Now you mentioned okay. You mentioned being in Jefferson City in the legislature. This is something that the legislature passed. What was it in two thousand ten? Yeah, in Missouri. And I mean, you know, there's not. I mean, you said you have several states doing commercial, but like the big states, you're looking at California, Florida. Uh, I mean, they're in Missouri are really the big states that have really have like encompassing uh, laws, and and they you can see a lot of movement in those states. I mean, is that safe to say those are the big states for this? So residential is in three states, yeah. which is California, Florida, and Missouri. Right. And commercial, um, probably the most successful commercial state is, is well, it'd be California and Florida, but to a lesser degree, Connecticut, Missouri, Ohio yeah. are the leading commercial states. It's just launching in Chicago right now in Illinois, for yeah. example. Um, but to give you a sense of the overall deal flow, I know that I kind of went over those figures quickly. Yeah. But residential pace, which is only in three states, right, encompasses eighty-five percent of the total funding of pace on those residential properties. Yeah. Okay. As compared to commercial. Right. So, right. although commercial is in over twenty states actively, yeah, uh, it only represents fifteen percent of the total funding equation. Yeah. Now, and, and so, like, and I think to help people understand the concept of it, if you live in Missouri, not just anyone in Missouri can do this. You have to be in a certain part of the state. There, there's a, this is a PACE district that we're talking about. So kind of explain what that means. Right. So there's four active programs in Missouri. Yeah. And those programs are run by what are called clean energy development boards. Right. Which is the actual language in the law. And those are the governing bodies that each have a jurisdiction. Yeah. And if you're in with, if you're within that jurisdiction, then you can apply for the funding. Right. And you receive a hundred percent financing for those improvements, and then you pay back the funding as a line item on your property tax bill. Yeah. Just like a sewer improvement district. Right. Or a school improvement district, for example. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of advantages to treating financing as a, as a special assessment or like a property tax. Right. There's advantages to the funding provider. There's advantages to the homeowner yeah. or the property owner. For example, if you're a commercial property owner, like we did a $2.5 million retrofit on the Missouri Athletic Club. Yeah. downtown St. Louis. This was in 2015. It was the second largest project in the nation at the time. Uh, and um, basically the Missouri Athletic Club was the first building west of the Mississippi to have air conditioning. It still had the original, oh, is that right? yeah, it still had the original <laughs> air handlers in there. Wow. I mean, it was basically, you know, kind of running on uh, duct tape and gum at that point. But you know, these air handlers had been built in 1941 and they were still in that, in that uh, building. So we did a comprehensive energy efficiency retrofit, including yeah. controls, and Train was the contractor on it. Um, but the advantage to the property owner that PACE provides 
is that the commercial property owner can amortize or spread out the payments up to 20 years. Yeah. And see, normally a bank is only going to loan money to do a capital improvement for a commercial property, like five-year money. Yeah, it's so, tight. So when you can go to 20 years, because that's what the law says, uh-huh. that means your annual payment will be so low that your savings actually exceeds your payment on year one and so you're actually in a positive cash flow on year one. In the case of the Missouri Athletic Club, for example, you know their first year's payment was like 195 grand, mm-hmm. but they saved 205,000 dollars. Yeah. So they were actually 10,000 dollars positive cash flow year one, and then that savings only increases with the utility escalator. In other words, utility bills go up by three or four percent every year. Right. So by year 20, the Missouri Athletic Club will be saving 362 grand a year. Um, whereas the entire financing would have been paid for in terms yeah. of their investment by year 10 or 11. I mean, yeah, so the, I mean, basically the idea is like you're going to get this financing, but you know, you are making improvements to your property because this is right now in Missouri just to make improvements to existing structure. You can't do new construction with this. Is that right? Um, you can you can do new you construction can. in Missouri, okay. yes. That's not a limitation in the statute. I thought I read an article where like there's another state, I think it was Minnesota or Michigan, that they were saying that they were expanding this to include new construction and acted like that was a new thing for PACE. So um, every PACE program is it, it springs forth from the state statute yeah. that births that program. Because it's creating a political subdivision. Correct. And right. it has to do with taxing law. Right. So it really has to do with state uh, a state enabling statute that really frames the uh, parameters of the program. So yeah. in the case of Missouri, we can are currently enabled to do energy efficiency or renewable energy upgrades only. Right. We've been talking about adding resiliency. Yeah. We've been talking about adding, you know, uh, FEMA measures, disaster prevention. Yeah. Like for example, a property owner can buy an $8,000 safe room in their home that would protect them from a tornado. Right. When you look at like the Joplin tornado, which caused billions of dollars of damage, killed over 100 people. Yeah, it was back the in most, 2011. Yeah, it was the most disastrous tornado in U.S. national history. Right. Um, a property owner, in terms of peace of mind, can, can spend $8,000 on a safe room, which can double as a storage room. And if they don't have the cash in the bank to spend on that, they can do a pace assessment if resiliency is, improved, is, is approved by the legislature for under pace, they can spread out those payments up to 20 years. But the point is, is that that home could get hit by an E5 category tornado. Uh-huh. And if that family is inside that safe room, they survive. Right. right. That's, that's an incredible public benefit. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you even wrote uh, an editorial that appeared in the Joplin Globe, I believe, that talks about that very thing. We'll share that with the audience when we send this out. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of benefits to this. There are a lot of um, aspects of this, but I mean, ultimately, whenever this district gets put in place, it's got to be voted on by like a county commission or a city council for this to be in existence in Missouri. Is that right? That's correct. And so there's four there's four programs right now. One is in the city of St. Louis called Set the Pace St. Louis. Yeah. And that geographic uh, footprint is only the city of St. Louis. There's a program that's in St. Louis County. It's called the Missouri Energy Savings Program. And that geographic footprint is only St. Louis County. Right. Then there are two what are framed as statewide boards. 
One's called Show Me Pace, yeah, and the other's called Missouri Clean Energy District, and they allow local communities. For example, Kansas City has joined both the Missouri Clean Energy District and Show Me Pace. I see. So um, uh, through interlocal agreements, those local communities can then join the Pace Board. And as as Pace program administrators, we are a public-private partnership, which means that transparency is in the mix. So we have to ensure that the contractors do the work. Right. We provide oversight for those contractors. And oftentimes PACE is criticized, but it's criticized in a vacuum because the bottom line is this. The PACE programs provide many more forms of consumer protections or are obligated to provide those consumer protections than other forms of home improvement financing. So it's unfair to compare the whole PACE equation to uh, itself. You have to compare it to what homeowners would choose if PACE wasn't available. And in the case of a home equity line of credit, getting money from their bank or something, there is zero contractor oversight. There are zero price guidelines. And so that's one of the things that PACE really brings to the table. PACE is really the solution to consumer protections issues. Mm -hmm. It's not the the source of problems. Right, because I mean, because you know, as great as this sounds, because you know I'm a big fan, there are people who don't like this program. Right. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I know you mentioned, you know, this is a this is a financing option. There are banking industry people and financial industry people who aren't doing this who don't like pace. That's safe correct. to say. That's correct. I mean, so I mean, like they've been fighting this. I mean, they they've been so, fighting this, and you know, what what do you think they're, they're they're if you were to sit here and say why you think the bankers and the other credit union types don't like this? What what do you think that is? I think it's uh, they're protecting market share and self interest. Mm-hmm. I mean, pace as a concept is newfangled and it's kind of disruptive. Scary. So so. You know, in the big picture, if you want to come up with an analog, yeah, you know, Pace is like Uber, yeah, and the banks are like the taxi drivers, yeah, yeah. Now, taxi drivers—they've been out in the field, you know, pounding the pavement, yeah. They got uh, the medallions, you know, de- 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 <laughs> delivering delivering people from point A to point B yeah. for many many years. Yeah, yeah. They certainly have a right to make their arguments in the marketplace and talk about how. You know, they're the old guard and they're right. protecting they're protecting their yeah. territory. You know, the banks, they the mortgage bankers and, and banks, they would like to loan this money to property owners right. uh, for home improvements, for energy improvements. But the bottom line is this. PACE actually provides a hundred percent of the financing for these improvements. Yeah. And we are only allowed to finance improvements that pay for themselves through savings. Right. And that's a distinguishing Which is a good thing for consumers. It's a good thing for yeah. consumers. The banks have none of those limitations. Yeah. So, um, you know, the mortgage banking community is opposed to PACE. And the, one of the main reasons is because PACE has a senior lien position is what it's called. It's treated like a tax. Right. And the bottom line is that people usually pay their taxes. And so they view <laughs> they view the PACE programs as being uh, uh, having some sort of uh, unfair advantage because uh, we are treated like a special assessment because that's what this is. When our when we partner with governments, local units of government to implement their clean energy programs, what we're doing is we're facilitating the financing of the agenda of the government. 
to upgrade the private sector infrastructure. So we are not out there, you know, selling financing to, right. to homeowners and to property owners. That's not our business. Our business is to amplify the needs of communities to develop and increase clean energy expansion. That's what we do. Right. And we have an agreement with these local units of government to purchase the bonds that then provide the liquidity that enables the program to exist. Yeah. And so we really view our role as stewards of the public interest as being absolutely critical to the success of the program. Yeah. And that's what differentiates us from uh, private corporations that are just in the lending business. Yeah, yeah like bankers. Like bankers. And I mean, the reason this, I brought this up because I mean, one of the things we've been doing on this podcast the past month or so is we've been trying to highlight issues that have come up in the 2019 legislative session We've mainly been talking about things that we see are positive. This is one of the few ones that we were against, that we found negative, because there were people in the banking industry who brought up a legislation that they said was consumer protection. But really what it was, and you can expound upon this a little bit, was an effort to, to over-regulate PACE. I mean, you were talking about these local, regional districts, statewide districts who provide all this oversight, make sure that these contractors are doing the work that's going to be specific to this type of improvements. But they were basically saying like, well, we want state agencies to also regulate this as well. I mean, is that the gist of what these uh, legislative uh, efforts were? Yeah, the, it, was a, it was a bunch of solutions, quote unquote, in search of, in search of a problem. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the, the Missouri yeah. Attorney General's office had received zero complaints about PACE. That's right. You're talking about 2,400 projects, nearly $100 million in financing provided over the last five or six years. And, um, you know, the entire PACE community, the stakeholders, the PACE providers, mm -hmm. the uh, appointed uh, representatives for these clean energy development boards, um, all the uh, uh, contractors, solar providers, not a single one of those people had a voice or an influence on this legislation right. that was brought. So it was really a case of where you have an adversarial industry trying to kill a com what they view as a competitive industry yeah. by you know by death by a thousand cuts yeah through over regulation right now fortunately you know um in jefferson city there's a sensitivity to government over regulation etc right and with, so, with people uh, that's the prevailing philosophy yeah. allegedly yeah, yeah right. so <laughs> so i mean oftentimes oftentimes it works against the interests of the people like for example not having building codes throughout the state right, or not having a prescription monitoring program yeah. for the state. You know, these are outliers that sets Missouri apart. But in the case of this particular, yeah. you know, idiosyncratic clean energy legislation, that sense of deregulation and the sense that, you know, that over-regulation is bad and that um, uh, bureaucracy is bad, that actually worked in favor of clean energy in this instance. Yeah. And some people might even call that hypocrisy on these lawmakers part for introducing this i'm not saying that's what it is some might say that uh in case you're listening and, and i mean so because it does seem like when you're saying like well, we want businesses to flourish we want people to like have less rules and less red tape and then all of a sudden we're saying like oh but for this industry more red tape yeah which is what this was yeah and i mean there was a senate version of this and a house version of this i mean you know, just to kind of educate our audience on this, you know, oftentimes pieces of legislation will be introduced in the House and the Senate. 
uh, you know, and then there's like two versions that kind of go through both uh, uh, chambers and, you know, if things are changed and amended and they kind of work on it. But I mean, ultimately, this was kind of rushed through. I remember this went through the House. Uh, went through the House Finance Committee. Is that the name of this committee? Financial institutions. There's a bunch of state reps who are bankers or kind of feel emboldened to the banking industry. Right. And they passed it. You know, we was we it was you know it was like the dead of winter. <laughs> we were down there testifying against this and making very good case. I mean, gosh, they had they grilled you for like an hour and you were just a machine. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, just batting back and forth and just shooting all their arguments down and yet. They still vote this out of committee. Uh, they add all this extra stuff to it. I mean, they also had these extra things on there about making it subject to another statute that it's called the Missouri Merchandising Practices Act, which is technically supposed to only apply to businesses that aren't otherwise regulated by the Department of Financial Institution, which they're also wanting to do with this. So basically they were contradicting that statute as well. Yes. Don't get me started. But <laughs> sounds uh, like an attorney. <laughs> I almost sound like I almost sound like somebody who's had to deal with this stuff. Yeah. And, and I mean and like and some of these people knew better. Some of these lawmakers knew better. But yeah, they did it anyway because they knew that there was a powerful industry against this and they wanted to like make them happy. But yeah, I mean, so they added all this stuff and it went through the house. I mean, it was like kind of towards the end of session. It went through the house. I believe it was like, what, 110 to like, I don't know. It was like, it was, it was like kind of done at late at night on a Thursday, but then it didn't go anywhere in the Senate, which is good news. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, Deb Lavender uh, testified, uh, or, you know, on the on the floor very effectively yeah. um, in, in uh, favor. And, and she basically said, well, I want you to look at who's supporting this legislation and who's opposed to this legislation. Right. Look at the list of organizations that's, who's, that's opposed and look who's supporting. <laughs> and it became kind of transparent as to yeah. what this was. And really, the argument is, is that the legislature should not be empowered to pick winners and losers in the marketplace right. like that. I mean, especially if you're advancing conservative principles of governance, where a softer touch of the government and the regulatory bodies is more uh, appropriate to allow a marketplace to flourish. And it's really a case of it's shocking to me that, the, that we would allow the Missouri family to self-negate to this degree to shut down one of the real gemstones of our state, mm -hmm. which is this successful Missouri PACE program that has Republican support, That's that right. has Democratic support, that hits a whole series of buckets that makes it positive in a bipartisan sense. Yeah. I mean, you've got the clean energy issue, so you're reducing carbon pollution, you're reducing pollution, but then you have the energy savings issue, which is a bipartisan issue. You're saving energy. Saving you're being, money on your energy You're being bill. more logical. Yeah. Then you have the job creation without a single dollar increase in taxes. That's an economic development dreamland for Republicans and conservatives. Yeah. If you want to have a public-private partnership that doesn't increase taxes, that creates jobs, that's what the Missouri PACE program is doing. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's really crucial that we continue to amplify those, those uh, successful attributes of the program yeah. and ensure that the program continues. And, um, you know, I would like to see disaster resiliency measures added right. to the program. This would be another public benefit uh, for the program. There's also been an exploration taken by the current administration uh, to look at expanding rural broadband. Mm, and finding right. ways to incentivize broadband providers to expand their reach 
to communities that would not normally receive rural broadband. Mm. And uh, that's an amazing uh, opportunity for the for PACE financing because yeah. these PACE districts have bonding authority. Yeah. And you can lend that bonding authority, so to speak, to these local communities to give a shot in the arm to expand rural broadband. I sit on the Hawthorne board, which is one of the economic development uh, organizations in the state yeah. that tries to bring businesses into Missouri. We have one of these site selector consultants mm -hmm. give us a, a, a talk the other day. And he said that when a community does not have access to broadband, that its economic metrics are on par with some communities in Africa that don't even have access to running yeah. water or electricity. I mean, this is really the it's uh, modern reality. It's the bulwark of the modern economy. Yeah. And you need to have access to broadband. I mean, this is for things like being able to share medical records, for example. That's right. You know, things, issues like that, that you wouldn't even uh, really consider unless you've really you know pressed into the topic. But many counties don't even understand how many of their citizens do not have access to broadband. They don't. I've been yeah. speaking to some of the local larger counties and even in this region. And, and they don't actually have numbers on who has broadband and who doesn't. So, I mean, this is, this is something that's critical for Missouri and PACE could play a, a really beneficial role. Do you see that being something that would come up in legislation next year? The legislation's been drafted and um, it's been uh, looked at by, uh, like for example, Tim Arbiter, the uh, director of uh, broadband uh, oh, in Missouri, yeah. okay. you know, and he's, he's, you know, kind of works within the Department of Economic Development and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's a crucial uh, issue for Governor Parson to advance uh, and, yeah. and, you know, we got to bring Missouri into the 21st century. About time. <laughs> We've only been 19 years into it so far. I mean, so, but and I guess, you know, a question I have is because, well, one, pace is not available to every part of the state. I mean, what, what's someone listening? Like, if they were in, like, a, a town or a county where they saw this as a potential need, I mean, what would they do to, like, make that happen? Do they talk to their elected officials? Do they talk to someone like you? How does that work? Sure, they could. They can talk to their local county council men or women. They can talk to their city leadership. Yeah. Um, you know, you could uh, get in touch with me, and I could point you in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, you could put my contact information on this podcast. I'm, okay. I'm open book with that. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, there are four jurisdictions. Many of the major population centers are covered. Yeah. Uh, currently, my my company is operational uh, in the Show Me Pace District, in the Missouri Energy Savings District, yeah. and also Set the Pace St. Louis, which is the city of St. Louis. Um, we're trying to get launched in Kansas City, Jackson County area. Yeah. But, um, you know, PACE is part of a larger effort to modernize our infrastructure. Yeah. And um, just like other technologies advance in a compound sense over time, energy saving technologies have been advancing. And it's just not really intuitive for a property owner to, you know, drive their home into their local shop to get it upgraded. <laughs> it doesn't so, work. That, that's not reality either. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it's even, it's even, even almost counterintuitive to, for people that are, you know, driving cars to do that. But we've seen how energy saving technology has impacted the transportation sector. <clears throat> We all remember gas guzzlers of years gone by yeah. that, you know, where cars got eight, eight miles to the gallon and now they're getting 20, 30, it 40. It. You know, <laughs> I, I drive a minivan, a, a yeah. hybrid minivan that gets 85 miles to the gallon now. Yeah. So, you know, um, those technologies are equally applicable 
to our building environment. Right. And what PACE does is it allows property owners to get ahead of the curve to do those upgrades now without having a single dollar come out of their wallet. It's hard to argue against. One eight hundred free money. Yeah, I know. I mean, you're talking about like reducing energy bills, adding energy efficiency efforts, adding infrastructure. I mean, this is one of those. I mean, it's one of those things that it's always interesting to me. We hear all these politicians in Jefferson City talk about what this state needs to do: increase our infrastructure, increase our access to business, increase our access to financing, less government. And here's something doing it, and yet here they are trying to hinder it. Right. And it just is so counterproductive. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I don't, and I think that it is a problem that a lot of these people who are in the legislature, and it's not a fault of their own because they have a million things they have to do, they don't educate themselves on what this really means. I mean, like, look, they got a $30 billion budget to work with, they got, they got all this other stuff they got to do, but they, they look at this stuff and they kind of say, like, ah, well, you know. This banking lobby has told me it was bad, so I'll vote. I'll vote for this dumb piece of legislation. I mean, that's and that's just unfortunate. That's the reality of the place. So one of the also one of the other realities is um, the fact that the Senate oftentimes acts as a uh, um, a check and balance yeah. on some of the. Um, more radical ideas coming out of the house. Yes. And and in this instance we had Republican and Democratic supporters yeah. that knew the value of the Missouri Pace program mm-hmm. and uh, they were not going to allow some political gamesmanship to have the government pick winners and losers in the marketplace and shut down one of the real touchstone economic development success stories for our state. Yeah. And uh, so and good for them. And good for them. Yeah. I mean, and it is, I mean, it's important to point out because I think a lot of our supporters assume there's a lot, there's partisanship with this. This is a Republican and Democrat issue that both parties support. Yeah. And uh, that's important to know because there are, I mean, you know, people let people look at Missouri and say like, well, you know, it's this Republican supermajority. But we do see, uh, we do see it's really positive. Mean, pay, having pace in Missouri is something that's really positive, and it's something that is great that we have. We have to fight it, we have to fight for it, we have to defend it, but we still have it. And so I think it's one of those things where I think Missouri sometimes doesn't get the credit it deserves for having some of this forward thinking. It's not always perfect, trust me, I know, but we do have some good things going on here. Indeed. Yeah. So um, because. I know we're kind of you know wrapping up here, but because you have such a interesting background and everything, I know there's other things that you could be promoting right now. And I'd like for you to maybe mention one of your other projects that you're working on. Oh, Byron. surely, surely. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's set that up for you. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd be interested to know what is on the horizon for Renew Missouri. Oh. And, you know, I've been very, very uh, enamored with, uh, you know, the beginnings of Renew Missouri and you know, yeah. P- with PJ Wilson yeah. and Aaron Noble. Yes, our and, co-founders. Yes, and Aaron Noble, I think she's at Straight Up Solar now. She is, and PJ's um, in Puerto Rico, saving the yes, world down there. Yes, yeah. trying to bring solar to Puerto Rico. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, you know, tell me what's on the, uh, let's let's uh, flip the podcast. Oh, oh, <laughs> I mean, oh, now I'm being interviewed. I think well, we found a replacement for you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, please, you're doing a much better job of this than I am. I mean, you know, like right now, like we, you know, we got some big things going on. I mean, we have the Ameren. Ameren came in last week with a rate case. Uh, they're actually asking for a rate decrease. Uh, but they're, but that's a little deceptive because they're also asking for a change in how they design their rates. 
which would actually see a fixed charge in your bill go from $9 a month to $11 a month, which is actually basically negate any kind of benefit you get from the rate decrease. So we're working very hard on that. Uh, we're working very hard on trying to get large scale utility solar uh, marketplace opened up in Missouri. We asked for the Public Service Commission to change their rules on that to allow for co-generation of power. Uh, we're working a lot with uh, Washington University and Bloomberg on solar projects in St. Louis. Uh, mm -hmm. That's something that's going to be on the horizon for us. Mm -hmm. um, man, and, you know, and we you, are... You bring up Amron. Yes. Um, so <laughs> recently I was interviewed for a documentary uh, about what the energy uh, portfolio will look like in 20 years. Yeah. And it was a documentary by this young man, I believe he's either 14 or 15 years old, and his name is Joshua Kelly. And it's going to be debuting at a film uh, showcase in, in a week, I think. Um, and like around here? Yeah, uh-huh. Really? And, and, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could, I could find out the information and maybe yeah, post yeah. it on the podcast. Yes. yes, his name's Joshua Kelly. And so he interviewed me about my perspectives on clean energy and where um, our country is headed in regard to its energy use. And he also had a chance to interview Ameren. Yeah. And Ameren, you know, discussed how they're expanding their wind portfolio. And they have. And, They've been very and, good with that. You yeah. know, and so, um, you know, they, they were represented uh, very effectively. And I will say that uh, Pat Justice, who works for Ameren, is the president of the city of St. Louis pays for yeah, he's on one of those uh, yeah. St. Louis and so he, he's really been championing those efforts and uh, you know I'm, I'm wondering you know where do you think Missouri is right now in terms of its embracing these new technologies um, what where is the real inflection point with the pushback that you get and what is the cause of that do you feel like some of the anti-climate change rhetoric that comes from say the Trump administration right. you know Obviously, in this last election cycle, we saw how Missouri became so polarized because yeah. the election got nationalized, right? Yeah. You know, Claire got nationalized, right. Claire McCaskill, and right. she lost. And she lost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Trump was here three or four times. He was down in Cape Girardeau right before the election like happened. You know, the election. Yeah. right. So, you know, do you see that some of the some of that influence of, let's say, retrograde grade policies on science? as it's influenced by the positions on climate change. Do you see those filtering in and really giving fuel and fodder to the opponents of clean energy in Missouri? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the one, the one place I see it prominently right now is you see a lot of wind farms being developed in northern Missouri, and you see a lot of real vitriolic opposition to that. And it's not the majority of the people opposed to it. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out in rural Missouri who want to see opportunities for income come in because I'm from rural Missouri. I can tell you we're hurting right now. Um, we, you know, we aren't seeing benefits from, you know, the fact that, you know, independent farmers are being shut down by larger uh, operations. So the idea that a farm could lease property to a wind farm and actually generate almost six figure incomes from that for a year, that's substantial. But you also have people who might not be you know, they might not need that kind of money and they just look at it purely from an aesthetic viewpoint and they are pushing out these, um, they're pushing out this rhetoric that you're seeing from the administration. They're pushing out this rhetoric you're seeing from uh, gas and oil uh, interests. And it's even some liberal people doing that. Uh, you're seeing them, you know, it's the same people who think that like, you know, bike lanes give you cancer or whatever. I mean, the real radical elements of it. But they're parroting 
Koch brother talking points because that's what they see online. And if right. you talk about the polarization of politics and the polarization of what you and I do, I think a lot of it can go back to the outrage machine that you see on the, the internet with social media, like the fact that outrage in you know you know just kind of creating. Uh, people to be upset that is what's driving that so you're seeing that rhetoric there now you know you talk to utility companies um, you know they don't really necessarily listen to what's going on in the administration right now whether Trump is president for four years or eight years what they know is that he's not going to be president forever we think and um, just kidding everybody Uh, and what they know is they have to do planning at a 20 30 40 year level uh, they like just the other day, Empire Electric filed their integrated resource plan, which is they're required to do. It's a 20 year outlook for their work. And if you want to know what utilities are going to have to do to adapt to this new world of clean energy, I think Liberty and Empire lay out groundwork on that. They're talking about investing in solar and storage on individual customers for their business, for their residents. I think you know a lot of other utilities spend a lot of time fighting that and trying to resist that. Liberty is looking at that saying, we need to get ahead of this because that is going to be the trend. You're going to start seeing people put more, you know, you know, more decentralization on what they rely on for their energy. I mean, I think that's what the future is. I think even utility companies know that because they're looking at concepts like microgrids. They're looking at concepts like, you know, should we have smaller generators for our, uh, for our power. We need to look at resiliency to avoid issues with natural disasters and with cyber attacks and that sort of thing. They realize that a modern grid is going to be a decentralized grid. Customers understand that because technology is getting cheaper. Storage is getting cheaper. Solar panels are getting cheaper. Uh, and, you know, and I think that ultimately the utility companies are either going to get ahead of that and get behind that or they're going to be like Ma Bell. You know, I also, I also see the writing on the wall, so to speak, with regard to the impacts of our changing environment and changing mm-hmm. climate. Yeah. And I see, like, for example, the Republican Party in Florida, you know, they may not carry the rhetoric of climate change. Yeah. Uh, but they see the changes that are happening. They know Miami's underwater. Yeah. They see they see they see the changes yeah. that are happening in yeah. the environment and they know that there are very specific prescriptive policies that will address those changes. And those changes are, are being embraced. Yeah. So I think there is there is some light at the end of the tunnel. There is. Because Mother Nature uh, is unforgiving with regard to her embracing of reality. Yeah. And if we continue to have our society really war with what's really self-evident in yeah. front of our faces, yeah. our society is not going to win that battle. And yeah. so, so we really, you know, one of the things I expressed in this documentary, and this is more kind of the pie in the sky overarching philosophy. Yeah. But I really think the work of the 21st century is to have humankind create a harmonious relationship with the environment and the ecosystem that supports us. Because right now, we do not have a, a relationship. We're arguing, if not in complete, full-out war. Yeah. And that, that insinuates that many of the living systems on the planet are in decline. We're talking about aquifers, rainforests, fisheries, etc. Um, and so some of the yeoman's work that you do within Renew Missouri, uh-huh. um, you know, you're in a difficult political environment where people don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. want to see the big picture. In fact, hundreds of millions of dollars of PR campaigns are spent to cloud the picture. Yes, that's right. 
And so I just commend you for what you're doing in, you know, um, in being Sisyphus rolling this rock up the hill. But I think at some point, you know, we are going to get that rock over the hill. And if yeah. we can, if we can move, you know, a, a rock from here to there, you know, we can keep doing that. We can actually move a mountain stone by stone. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen um, with with our uh, attempts to uh, bring America and Missouri into the 21st yeah. century to adopt these technologies, to push back against uh, retrograde efforts, to limit our advancement. Yeah. And that's that's I think what embodies uh, what a future focused individual yeah. has has his eye on. And that's I commend you, James, for doing that. Well, I mean, I commend people like you who support us and to do the work you do. And I think. You know, I talk, we talk about the free market a lot on this podcast today. You know, I, I'm encouraged not just by what I see Airman doing, KCPNL doing, Liberty doing, some of these other politicians while they're not being very loud about it, what they're doing. But like, say, for example, Chubb, a large, very large insurance company just announced they're not going to insure coal plants anymore. Too much of a risk. Sounds like the nuclear plant issue, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. And so, you know... That is going to be ultimately what drives us there is because the market is looking at this and saying this isn't going to work. Right. It is not just saying, oh, well, there's an altruistic reason for this. We want to save the environment. There is a dollar and cents argument to be made, which unfortunately, you know, I know a lot of people get frustrated with us. Some of our liberal supporters get frustrated with us because we don't make that environmental argument more, but we're in Missouri. Right. If I went in there and I went to Jefferson City talking about the Paris Accord, I would be run out of town. We have to talk about energy bills. We have to talk about how it drives business to the state. And that's the reality. But guess what? We're still going to get to the point we need to get to. I mean, to. energy independence is absolutely a key component yeah, to, to our success. Absolutely. You, know, you think about our reliance in this state, in Missouri, on coal. Yeah. Okay, we've got two coal trains. From Powder River Basin out in Wyoming, that come in every day. Yeah. Two coal trains full of coal. Yep. Every single dollar that we save on energy efficiency yeah. is a dollar that's repatriated to support our local economies yeah. because we're not sending it, it off to Wyoming to, bring that in. to buy coal from Wyoming. That's right. So, I mean, that's just another argument. I mean, energy independence is is a patriotic argument. And without a doubt. And you know, I don't care about the rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, coming out of the Koch brothers or coming out of the oil or the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a student of history. Yes. I, I, I uh, you know, I, one of my efforts is I wrote a peer-reviewed book on the American Revolution. Yeah. And I've studied history and I know that there are certain attributes about the American psyche that make us unique on the world yeah. stage. One of those is independence and the quality that we are supposed to exemplify in Missouri, which is the show me state. Uh -huh. It's like a it's a meritocracy, okay? We're not gonna be placating to the economic royalists or the kings or the queens. Right. You know, uh, FDR in, in one of his speeches talks about the rise of the economic royalists. Mm. That, you know, we fought a war of independence to rid ourselves of yes. the monarchy. And yet we have this rise of this economic royalism within our, our country. And, and you're talking about moneyed interests, controlling politics, mm -hmm. controlling policy to an inordinate degree. I'm not saying that they should have a seat at the table, perhaps several seats at the table, right. but they cannot own the whole restaurant and dominate and monopolize yeah. our entire and house of records. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, this is an attribute that is really a Midwestern quality, yeah. which is 
you know, show me, show me the numbers, be pragmatic, be practical, exhibit restraint, and all those attributes mean if we have new means of powering our society that create jobs, that create more jobs than are in the fossil fuel industry, that actually save folks on their energy bills, that actually cleans up the environment, that is doing all these things for us, that should be the effort that we should pursue as an all-hands-on-deck moment. Yeah. Byron Dillier, you've said it all. You've done it all. <laughs> and I can't top that. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. I think, you know, there's a lot of people like have a lot of questions. They always, we, we always get a lot of phone calls about Pace. I think this information here is enormously helpful and enormously educational to everyone in Missouri as well as anyone who might be looking at this in any other state. Everyone out there, thank you for listening. Uh, if you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes, subscribe to us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Stitcher. Go write positive reviews, don't write negative reviews. And uh, you know, share this on your social media uh, because we want you to share this with your friends and we want to spread the word on this. Byron, anything else to plug? Um, no, I just, you know, I, I'd like to see this podcast on YouTube. Too. Okay. <laughs> yes, off mic, we were getting some thoughts on how we can expand our audience. We might even add a YouTube component to this. We'll see. Stay tuned. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for a couple weeks. We'll be back with Renew Gurus. And until then, keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> <laughs>